Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood, back at you again with story time. It's a Saturday afternoon here in San Diego, and time to record another one. I know what you're thinking. Last week I kind of skipped out a little bit, because I... Uh, Gave you the old recording of Glimmer of Ale, and hopefully you liked that first chapter. And I tease you that that audiobook is just about ready, and it is on my website. Not yet on Audible. going to be probably another week, maybe two. They tend to be take a while on that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to go with a different story for the next couple of weeks here, and then we'll get started on that one, sharing that one with you um, once it's up and available and potentially profitable for me. <laughs> anyway, um, so what I'm going to share with you this week and probably the next three weeks is a novella I wrote uh, a few years back called What Lurks Between. It's, uh, well, it's kind of a, kind of weird in that uh, I mixed a bunch of different stuff. But basically, dude goes up to a space station and finds himself back home on Earth again, and how the hell they get there, and he brought something back with him that's nasty and got to do bad things, and he has to figure out a way to stop it. Uh, it's about 25,000 words long, uh, so that if you figure the amount of time to read, probably take two and a half hours total. Now, I've gone to about an hour on these podcasting videos in the past, and uh, really don't want to go any longer than that. It's a bit excessive like to keep it to 30 to 45 at most. So I'm going to break this one up into four parts. That should be about 40 minutes per and spend out over the next month. And that's the plan. And of course, you can always get ahead of me and go read the book if you want to. So without further ado, we'll get to it. Hope you enjoy. All right. What Lurks Between by me. It came from outer space. Well, sort of. It actually came out of my lunchbox. But I brought my lunchbox into outer space that day, and trust me, it was not in that lunchbox when I went up. And that's how come I can say it came from outer space. What was it? Well, that's a long story, but it starts simply enough. So there I was, and this is a no... <clears throat> Sorry. It's Navy and me coming out. But trust me, this really, really happened. Really. Like I said, it started out as just another day on the job. Barry! I turned away from my locker to see Clark Haberman, the very last person I wanted to deal with, walking towards me. As usual, he wore his light gray work coveralls, cinched at the waist with a black web belt that supported a number of tool pouches and a scowl on his weathered face. Christ, what have I done now? I couldn't think of anything I'd screwed up lately, but Clark never got that look except when something had gone seriously wrong. Yeah, boss, I said, inwardly wincing, as I anticipated the diatribe to come. I was amazed when it never did. You've been reassigned, I blinked. Hear what I said? 
You're not working here anymore. So that's how it was. I sighed and lowered my eyes. I'd been fired before, lots of times, but at least the other bosses didn't screw around trying to make nice about it. We don't need you anymore. You messed up one too many times. Get lost, loser. I had heard them all, but never reassignment. That was rich. I let out a bitter laugh before I was able to catch myself. From the corner of my eye, I saw Clark's eyebrows twitch upward in confusion. No way. I ain't joking, dude. They want you up at Ketchum Station starting today. Clark held out a printout as he spoke. Expecting yet another pathetic joke at my expense, I snatched it away and began reading. As I did, my bitterness and fatalism faded, replaced by amazement, and just maybe a smidgen of hope. Congratulations, the note began. I could not recall the last time anyone had congratulated me for anything. It continued, Your application for service aboard the Ketchum Station has been accepted. You will begin work on 27 April. Report to Shuttle Station 7 at 0930 for transport. Welcome aboard! The note was unsigned, but it came on company letterhead, and the office code at the top indicated it was from Human Resources. I didn't apply for duty on Ketchum Station, I murmured. I applied for you, Carl said, his scowl becoming more like a sneer. You're always talking about how you should have stayed in the Navy. Ketchum's a ship. Sort of. He cleared his throat softly. Anyway, I figured it was time you moved on to something better. Better. Right. Ketchum Station was a hole, and everyone knew it. Old, dilapidated, about ready to deorbit any week now if the rumor mill was to be believed. So yeah, I, I was getting fired again. So much for that smidgen of hope. Oh well, at least this time I got to keep a paycheck. And truth be told, if Ketchum Station was as run down as they said, it would probably have plenty of work to keep an electrician like me busy for a while. Maybe I could rack up some more overtime on this gig. Great. I tried to sound like I meant it. Then I saw the clock. 0900. The shuttle station was a 20-minute walk from the locker room. Crap. Wasting no time on chit-chat, I turned back to my locker and pulled out my duffel bag. It did not take long to pack up all my stuff. I only kept my lunchbox, a towel and soap, and the clothes I wore to work. Jeans, a t-shirt from a trip to the Alamo, and a pair of beat-up sneakers in there. Other guys kept their lockers full. I guess I never expected to stay all that long. Well, Carl said as I was packing up. Good luck up there. Been nice working with you. I knew he was lying, but it was nice of him to say it. Maybe he wasn't a total schmuck after all. I stepped back from the locker and stared at it for a minute. I had not worked there for long, but I had hoped that maybe this time it would be different. Seeing the locker empty like that gave me a weird feeling. You know, people say it was like someone was walking over their grave. Yeah, sort of like that. I didn't have time to dwell on it if I was going to make the shuttle. With a grunt, I shouldered the duffel bag. Then I tugged the front of my gray work coveralls to smooth them out and turned away. My work boots made hollow echoes as I walked out of the deserted room. When I returned to my apartment three days later, I was exhausted. The kind of tired where you see spots and talk to someone only to realize you're totally alone. I barely had the energy and wherewithal to kick off my shoes and dropped my duffel bag before I collapsed onto my old threadbare couch. Then I slept the sleep of the dead. I came to 18 hours later. It took a long moment to figure out where I was. I looked one way and then the other, and it was like I was staring at a foreign land. Well, almost. The pictures on the walls, the stuffed leather chair in the corner, the oversized video display unit on the wall, the kitchenette tucked into the rear corner, the door to the hall off to the left, a small door on the opposite wall leading into the bathroom, and behind me the double doors that housed my pull-down bed were all familiar. 
but I could not place them at first. I was still that tired even after that much sleep. Plus, I felt like hell. I had a sour taste in my mouth, like I'd been sucking on a lemon or something, and I ached all over. Eventually, it all clicked. Home. Crappy little studio in a crappy portion of town. No place like it. Took a minute to push myself up off the couch. My aching muscles protested all the way. Well, at least that made sense. I had worked hard on the station, though strangely, my memories of what exactly I worked on were foggy. I chalked it up to my earlier exhaustion. Add to that the weird transition from full gravity to zero G on the shuttle to 0.5 on the station to zero G back to full gravity again, and I was not the least bit surprised about the soreness. I stumbled over to the little bathroom, it was the only separate room in my apartment, and resting my hands on the sink, stared at myself in the mirror for a minute. I looked like hell, too. Hair tussled, shadows under my bloodshot eyes. It was almost like I'd been out drinking, except for the lack of headache. Get it together, I told myself and pulled my toothbrush out of the medicine cabinet. I was in the middle of brushing when I heard it. A rattling, or a scratching, really, out in the main room. More roaches, son of a... I just had the place fumigated a month ago. How could they be back so quickly? Muttering angry nothings under my breath... I dropped the toothbrush into the sink and stalked out into the room. It was not roaches. Whatever it was, was shaking my duffel bag, almost as if something was inside and trying to get out. I gulped. I did not want to see what this was. Killing bugs was one thing, but to make the duffel bag shake like that, what was it, a rat? I used to play baseball in high school, and then for a while in a local league. Though I don't play anymore, I kept my bat a genuine Louisville slugger. They're hard to find these days, and it was probably worth a bit of money, so it would have been a shame to get rid of it. Besides, I always told myself I'd get back into baseball at some point. I used to be pretty good. In the meantime, the slugger made for a handy home defense weapon from time to time. I darted over and snatched up the slugger from where it lay propped against my stuffed chair. It made me feel a little bit better to hold the solid wood in my hands. Rats ain't gonna have nothing that can handle this. Drawing a deep breath, I eased my way over to the still-shaking duffel and, grabbing it by the zipper handle, dumped its contents. The items from the bag tumbled out, and I retreated a step. The slugger held up, ready to swing. The clothes and towel landed in a heap, but the lunchbox rolled a foot or so before landing on its side. There was nothing else. Okay, what was going on? The lunchbox lurched, and actually bounced a centimeter or so off the ground. I had to bite back a little yelp of surprise. Not sure how well I succeeded... As I retreated another step, and ran into the side of the couch. Lunchbox lurched again. The rattling and scratching sound was louder now. The top of the box shook, and the latch holding it shut seemed to strain. Inwardly, I willed the latch to hold. Whatever was in that lunchbox, I did not want it coming out. I should probably just wail on it with a slugger. I could probably bust the box up pretty good. That would at least knock silly whatever it was was inside. Give me time to figure out what to do with it. The food macerator under the sink sprang to mind, but I shoved that thought down. It was too gross. But I could not bring myself to move. I watched. The slugger held intently. But I could not bring myself to move. I watched. The slugger held impotently at my side as the top lurched and strained against the latch again. And again. Then the latch broke and the lunchbox flipped open, hitting the floor with a tiny metallic thud. I gulped again. Another rattle issued from the lunchbox and out crawled. A bunny rabbit? What in the hell was a bunny doing in my lunchbox? It was silly. It was ludicrous. 
But hang it all, it was darn cute. Little white bunny right out of an Easter egg commercial. It hopped over towards me, its ears flopping in time with its hops in the most adorable manner. I'm no pansy, but I couldn't help it. Nothing that cute could be bad, so I dropped the slugger and squatted down. It hopped over to me, and I scooped it up into my arms. Its hair was smooth, soft, just the way you envisioned a bunny should be. Its ears were perky but flexible, and it had little white whiskers growing out of its snout. Its eyes were pinkish red, and that made sense. The all-white coat meant it was probably an albino. The eyes just confirmed it. Bunny snuggled in against my body, and I pet it. It shivered, almost the way a cat will shiver when it purrs, and I could not help but smile. Questions of how it got into my lunchbox in the first place faded beneath the pleasure of cuddling it next to me, so I sat down on the couch and activated the display. The bunny slid off my lap onto the cushion next to me, still vibrating soothingly. The news was on. Oh, God, I hate the news. Glanced over the timepiece on the wall. Game should be starting soon. It'd be better to watch that than... Tragedy on Ketchum Station, said the anchor, a severe-faced man in his early middle years who dressed like an undertaker, and I sat bolt upright, a chill going down my spine. I could not have heard that one, right? I gestured for the display volume to increase, certain that I was mistaken, but I was not. An image appeared on the display, clearly shot through a high-power lens, showing Ketchum Station's distinctive egg shape tumbling erratically through space. Gases were streaming from several holes in the hull, and the exterior navigation lights flickered on and off at random intervals, as though the circuitry or power supply had been compromised. The anchor continued, his deep monotone speaking over the video. Middle-Earth orbit traffic control lost contact with the station last night after receiving a number of disturbing transmissions, followed by a distress call. While they struggled to regain contact, a nearby tug was vectored in and shot the video you are now watching. So far, traffic control has been unable to link another craft to the station, and there is no word on the status of the 250 scientists and support personnel who worked on board. Family and friends of Ketchum Station employees can direct inquiries to... I slumped back against the couch, stunned, and let the rest of the anchor's words slide past without taking note of them. What the hell happened up there? I cannot remember anything going seriously wrong, but then I couldn't remember much of anything at all. I wrapped my brain trying to think. There was the shuttle up... The young woman who greeted me at the airlock, and then nothing. It was all a blur. And something else sprang to mind, something that made the earlier chill in my spine turn into an icy feeling of dread. How the hell did I get back home? The bunny, sitting next to me, squirmed. The little vibration it was making changed, becoming less soothing, more jarring. Almost like when a musician hits the wrong note in a harmony part. I looked down on it, and dread turned into sheer terror. This was no ordinary rabbit. It crouched there on the sofa cushions, staring right back at me. Its irises, which before were albino pink, were now blood red, and its pupils were like slits. Its ears were stiffer, their tips more pointed and also tinged with red. I became aware of something digging into my thigh through my pants and slid away. Those things, right front paw, dropped down onto the cushion, leaving three little puncture wounds in my left leg from the long, sharp claws. Run! Get up and run, jackass! Felt like I was screaming this at myself, but I could not make my muscles respond. The best I could do was push as far away from it as I could, right up to the edge of the couch. The thing just stared at me for a second, then its lips drew back into a vicious little grin. It had big, sharp, pointy teeth. My muscles finally obeyed my mind's frantic plea, and I bolted. I was off the couch in a heartbeat and heading toward the door, but the thing was faster. It snarled much louder snarl than I would have thought it would be capable of, and a second later, it landed on my upper back between my shoulder blades. 
pain flared from a dozen locations as the, as the claws at the end of his paws dug in, and I thrashed around to try to get it off. Then a new, more intense pain came from the side of my neck. I passed out. I awoke to an awful pressure on my chest as though a couple of burly guys were laying atop me. It was hard to draw breath. Very hard. As I slowly came around, I found myself wondering if my ribs would give way. Then I opened my eyes. I found myself staring straight into the bunny thing's blood-red gaze. I was lying on my back and it was sitting on my chest, staring at me. That's it. No big burly guys, just that little bunny thing. It was a hell of a lot heavier than it looked. It noticed me waking up and grinned again. Its fangs were still there. More disturbing still, the fur around its mouth was stained red. The ache in the side of my neck registered and I flinched away as the source of the stains around the bunny's mouth became clear to me. Well, I tried to flinch, but the thing's weight prevented me from moving very far at all. The thing's grin grew wider. There's no point in trying to flee, Barry. I heard the words in my head, but knew that the thought was not mine. Oh, dear Lord, it could read my... Your blood is mine. I own you. Its tongue caressed its fangs slowly, seductively. I had seen women use their tongues similarly, licking their lips while flirting. The display was quite a bit less arousing on this thing. What? I cleared my throat, then tried again. What are you? I am your master. There's more than a hint of annoyance in the thought's tone. As though to accentuate his point, the thing dug his forepaws into my chest, sending lances of pain radiating from the area. I gritted my teeth, but groaned at the renewed discomfort. Stop! Stop, please, master. It dug its claws in a bit deeper. It was as though someone was dripping molten metal onto my chest. For an instant, I had the notion of swiping it off me. I was a strong guy. I should be able to do that. But the pain just escalated when I thought it. Worst, I found I could not move my limbs. I had no choice. My ego rebelled against it, but I could not stand the pain any longer. Stop, please. I had to draw a breath to get the last word out. Master. All at once. The pain ceased. Good. The voice in my head sounded satisfied. Pleased. You learn quickly. I could not suppress a snort. That was something I had never been accused of before. What? I cut off as the claws began digging in again and the pain returned. I found myself groaning and forced it down. Through gritted teeth, I managed to mumble, What do you want? The pain faded again, as quickly as it came. The bunny thing looked at me for a long moment, its cat-like pupils narrowing in consideration. Another impulse just shoved away came through me, but again it was as though my thoughts were disconnected from my body. I could not move a muscle. Finally, it spoke again. What I want? The creature's fangs seemed to lengthen, and I noticed little red stains on their tips. I want food. I got a hollow feeling in, the, in my belly. Oh, Lord, it was going to eat me. It made a little coughing sound. Laughter? You are not enough. Not for what I have to do. You will help me find more. I somehow managed to swallow, despite having no saliva in my mouth. It could not mean what I thought it meant. But it did. I hugged my arms tight against my chest, or as tightly as I could with the bunny or whatever the hell it was, tucked into my trench coat with its nose poking out from the little V where the two flaps of the coat folded over each other. I walked slowly down the street a few blocks from my little apartment. The late autumn chill made my breath freeze in the night air in front of my face. It was not the cold that made me shiver so. 
It was the company. The bunny monster had been insistent that we go out. I knew what it wanted, but I could not say no. Even when it was not digging its claws into me, I felt a, a force bearing down on my mind when it projected its desires into my head. I found myself doing its bidding before I realized what was going on. I did not know how, but it had a hold of my mind. That was scary enough. The suspicion, no, the certainty of what it sought was terrifying. I went. Unwillingly, but I trudged past the boarded-up storefronts, the broken windows, the trash-laden streets. My little corner of Boston had never been the best neighborhood, but the last few years have been especially unkind. Businesses closed every week were left for fairer shores despite the best efforts of the local officials to entice them to stay. I suppose all the promises of kickbacks and tax incentives in the world didn't matter worth a damn if you can't enforce the basic rule of law. Who would have figured that, huh? My mind whirled as I picked my way past the detritus of a failing city, and I could not help but feel it was appropriate to bear the bunny monster with me down the dark streets. If any place I'd feel like home for this thing, my town would. Then I felt that pressure in my head again. There. I stopped abruptly, glancing around in confusion. What was it? That one. The thought came accompanied by pain as its claws dug into my chest. I grimaced to hold back a scream and stumbled forward, nearly bending over double. What was it talking about? Where? Then I saw, and a new chill spread down my spine. I knew. I knew without it having to tell me, but I did not want to believe that the bunny monster really meant it. But when the bunny monster's claws loosened their grip, as I finally noticed the homeless man slumped against the wall of an alley ten meters ahead on the other side of the street, and I felt that pressure in my mind again, I could not deny the truth. We were out to get food. I could not stop myself. My feet seemed to move of their own accord, jogging across the street in the wake of a passing yellow cab, then turning left toward the homeless man's alley. Against my chest, the bunny monster began purring, or whatever it was, again. As we approached, I saw the man's features as clearly as if it was noon, and never mind that it was approaching midnight. Curly brown hair that hung in unwashed strands from his head, a matching beard complete with a bit of paper, or food, caught in the long whiskers, high cheekbones and dark, defeated eyes, a ratty overcoat with several holes in it that he held close about his thin body, trying to preserve what little heat the thin garment could retain. On any other night, I might have thought about giving him a buck. When I stopped in front of him and gestured into the alley, his eyes narrowed suspiciously. What you want, Muddy? Just as my feet had moved on their own accord, I found myself speaking before I realized what was happening. Want to earn some money? The homeless man's eyebrow quirked upward and he spat off to the side. I don't turn tricks. I felt the bunny monster's purring change, and I felt faintly awry, almost derisive amusement seeping into my mind. No tricks. Job pays 200. Both eyebrows climbed high on the man's forehead, and he suddenly grinned. He had several missing teeth and breath that could knock a moose over at 20 meters. It was all I could do not to gag. But then I found myself gesturing into the alley again. This time the man nodded and, licking his lips, began walking in that direction. As I followed him and the light of the street faded, it was like I was watching someone else. My heart pounded in my chest and I could acutely feel every pulse through my neck. The sound of my heartbeat was like a bass drum in my ears. My mouth grew dry and I found myself beginning to tremble. Was I really going to let this happen? But I couldn't stop it. 
The nameless man rounded the corner in the alley, taking us completely out of view from the street, and turned to face me. Before he completed the movement, the bunny monster shoved itself off my chest and, springing from the low neck of my trench coat, landed on the man's chest. He had time to voice a wordless shout of surprise, then the beast was on him. Its little head darted upwards toward the side of his neck, and I heard as much as saw its fangs penetrate. The man's eyes widened, and his shout became a rasping gurgle as he staggered backwards, his hands going reflexively to his neck and the creature that latched on there. He tugged at the bunny monster, but it did not budge. He stumbled back again, turning to the side as he did so, and slammed his back into the side of the building to my left. He beat on the bunny monster with his fists, but it was all in vain. After maybe 30 seconds, he slumped to the ground. His eyes lost focus and rolled up in their sockets. His limbs began to spasm, his feet drumming against the alley's cement paving stones, and then finally, he lay still. I watched this happen, my feet glued in place. Though a part of my brain shouted, Run, you idiot! Another part was, unbelievably, fascinated. Never seen a man die before. By the time we returned to my apartment, self-loathing consumed me. What had I done? I let this thing kill that poor man. I didn't even try to stop it. Worst part of me had enjoyed it, or at least was not completely repulsed by it. I slammed the front door shut and flung my wallet and keycard onto the small table standing next to the door Then made a quick work of removing my trench coat and hurling it into the corner. Then I stumbled over to the couch and collapsed. I pressed my palms to my forehead and felt myself on the edge of tears. The bunny monster, or whatever it was, hopped slowly across the small room toward the couch from where it had landed when I took off the trench coat. Rest. More tomorrow. I found myself sobbing as I shook my head in denial. No, I whispered, I can't. The pressure came crashing back on my mind again, and I felt its weight upon me as it hopped up onto my abdomen. Pain lanced through me as it landed and dug in. Were its claws longer? It felt like it. You will. You cannot stop me. The pain grew greater, and I heard myself scream. Thankfully, I lost consciousness soon after that. The bunny monster's final words echoed through my mind as dreams took me. It continued that way for the next week. When I was not asleep or engaged in biological necessities, the bunny monster rode me out onto the streets. Every time we went out, it took another victim. I lost track of the number of nameless schlubs the bunny monster killed, but it was a lot. And a slideshow of faces, all dead now, were emblazoned on my memory. I saw them when I slept. I saw them in the bathroom mirror when I brushed my teeth and shaved. When the monster let me do those mundane things anyway, which was not often. I cannot escape the memory of those poor people. At some point during the week, it struck me that I needed to go into work. Clark had not actually fired me, after all. He might not care, but presumably the company would care that I was alright and not dead on Ketchum Station. And how exactly had that worked out, anyway? I had no idea. I still could not remember what happened up there, though it was improving. Instead of essentially a big black blur of no memory at all, I slowly began to get flashes. Just individual images, an occasional face, a spoken word. Not enough to make any sense of it, but it was something. The point was moot, though. No sooner had I voiced the thought about returning to work than the bunny monster put the kibosh on it. I was not going anywhere without it, and it was not going to my place of employment. For a moment, before the pain began, I had the impression that it was actually afraid of where I worked for some reason. Then I learned to never think on such things again.
By the end of the week, I began to notice a change. The bunny monster was larger, but not larger everywhere. Its claws had definitely grown. I had felt them too many times to not notice that, as had its fangs. The rest of its body, however, remained about the same size it had always been, except for its belly. At first, I thought I was imagining things. It moved more slowly around my apartment and when we went out, and it pounced on the victim. But it was always a small enough difference that I could not be sure. Then one night, a week and a half after we first met, the bunny monster almost missed a meal. The poor schlub it picked out ducked its initial attack and ran away, screaming. For a moment, I thought he would actually get away, as difficult as the chase appeared to be for the monster, but finally, get him, it did. When it forced me back home, I looked at it, really looked, for a long time. There could be no doubt, now that I concentrated enough to really note the differences. Its belly was most definitely larger. At one point, I swore I saw part of its belly move, even. I shrank back and swallowed hard. I thought I was past terror after last week being held prisoner by that thing, but I felt a new icy feeling of dread in my gut as I considered what I saw. The bunny monster turned its head toward me right then, its cat-like eyes narrowed, seeming to glow brightly red for a moment. Then it ran its little tongue over its lips and sniffed the air. Soon, the intruding thought echoed in my mind, its intensity making me rock back for a minute. The thought contained a grim, deep satisfaction, coupled with a primal eagerness that was barely contained. Were I that eager for something, I would be bouncing off the walls, but the bunny monster simply sat there, gazing at me with its unsettling eyes for a moment. Then it smiled. They will come soon. The dread became sheer horror as I suddenly understood. The creature was female. Well, of course it's a girl, right? What else could it be? <laughs> but anyway, um, all joking aside, uh, Barry's got himself a little bit of a problem here. Um, yeah, not only is a uh, vampire bunny kind of using him to mass murder, but it looks like he's going to have kids. Uh, well, that's a bit of a problem. And it's a bit of a problem that you're going to have to wait to see how he solves, if he does. Who knows? Maybe the Earth will just become populated with vampire bunnies with big, sharp, pointy teeth. Um, but, yeah, you'll find out. Like I said, probably be another uh, three episodes on this. Uh, should get us through it. Or you can just go buy the book. It's at my website, ssnstorytelling.com. You can also find it at Audible. Not Audible yet. I don't have an audiobook on it. You can find it at Amazon, Mars Noble, Kobo, iTunes, any place you like to buy ebooks. I have not got a print version of this done yet. I don't know why I didn't yet. It'll be easy enough to do. I'll get that squared away. And uh, one of these days we'll get an audiobook. But for now, it's just ebook. So nice and easy. No reason not to go through my website where I make the most money. But that's up to you. Uh, come by the website, drop a line, say uh, say hi. Sign up for the email list. I won't spam you. I'll just tell you when new stuff is coming out. Or, you know, just come back next week and we'll, we'll uh, read the rest of it. For now, if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. If you're on the podcast, just subscribe and tell everybody you know about Storytime. Until next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. 
My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Finally, if you really like what I'm doing and want to support on a more regular basis, you can come by Patreon and become a patron. Just a couple bucks a month will help out a lot. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>